It's really about technology becoming invisible. Hey, what's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan, and we're having a recurring guest today. Someone who is just amazing in conversation with me because she just lights me up. And her background is an international top model and computer engineer. Now mix those two together and you've got a fashion technologist. And she's executive producer of the largest fashion tech events in China, which we're going to talk about today. CEO and founder of 360 Fashion Tech Lab, Anina Nett. Welcome back. Hey, I'm so delighted. Delighted and excited to be talking with you. Um, it's an incredible moment in history, and I can't wait to hear your perspective on digital fashion. That's great. Let's uh, let's talk a little. Let's start there today because there's a lot of. We were just talking pre-show, and I'm like, we got to stop. We got to shut up so we can just actually press record on this here and get going. There's uh, we were we started off with Snapchat filters, right? Or that's where we left off just because of you were talking on how the fashion industry is just really getting obliterated. You know, it's, it's vaporized just like a lot of other things after this past year. Where do you see this going right now? Well, first of all, vaporized is a term from Robert Tursick, uh, and it, and it literally means what it sounds like that physical objects are being turned into digital objects. And there's a whole new world literally that's being built right now called the metaverse, right? So even right now we are, you know, together in this virtual space, even though we're decentralized in two different physical locations, right? And so that offers an opportunity for customization, uh, creating uh, different things that we could wear of these dematerialized fashion items. And I was saying before, what is digital fashion? Well, it's fashion that's been designed in a 3D environment. And now thanks to you know, um, camera tracking and through algorithms, you know, they can be mapped to the body very much like a Snapchat filter or an Instagram filter, you know, where you see you're wearing jewelry or you're wearing a hat or you're displaying any kind of digital overlay on top of the, the physical you. And so in reference to the Snapchat, you know, one of the hardest nuts to crack has been how do we track the physical body, right? You know, uh, uh, Instagram can do the face, right? The facial recognition technology is is prevalent everywhere, right? And and uh, camera visualization, pretty good. We know where our nose, ears, eyes, and mouth are. But how do we know where our shoulder shoulder joints are? How do we know where there's an elbow joint? How do you track the wrist? in these virtual environments. And so Snapchat just recently came out with being able to track the upper body. And so now that can lead to the fact that you and I are not just here wearing our super cool t-shirts, <laughs> uh, but we could be wearing digital fashion, virtual fashion. We could, I mean, I have on, you know, uh, makeup, but as you know, there are many um, filters 
that give me digital makeup. So maybe less for you, but if you were going to an online dance party or you were going to an online party, you might want to wear a cool virtual hat or you might want to put on some, I don't know, you're, you're going to a, a, um, a sports game online and you're hanging out with your friends. You might want to wear like those cool, you know, <laughs> grease marks on yeah. your face, right? Just for the looks, not the functionality this time around. No, it's, it's so intriguing. Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting because this is a world that's, that's 3D, that's now becoming 2D, that's becoming 3D. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, it, we took 3D to 2D and now it's becoming 3D again with everything else that we're adding in with digital fashion. Do you see in the future, because this is where my crazy brain goes, to where this might end up being legitimately 3D again, to where we have holographic images and almost like virtual environments to where we can step into? And how far off are we from that? You know, you're talking about the digital dance parties. Could these literally fill a room, fill a 3D room that you're in? Well, I mean, virtual reality, right, is is already here and augmented reality is already here and mixed reality is already here. And those, those things, are, of course, are dependent on hardware, right? He who has the goggles can enter the room, right? So it's almost like, a, you know, Sadly to say, the digital divide, I do not have goggles, therefore I cannot attend, you know, VR parties and conferences, etc. Right. I do have a smartphone. So therefore, with, a, you know, the latest iPhone, uh, I can have enough processing power to, you know, use, um, you know, AR to download some cool uh, you know, filters and stuff. And I have a fast enough, you know, 4G, 5G connection that allows me then to download those, you know, 3D objects, which can be quite heavy. So um, there is a digital divide developing, but in the developing, you know, developed countries, more and more people in the gaming have the right computing power to really dress an avatar, have an avatar, buy things for their avatar and create, you know, and exist on the metaverse. That's so interesting because that's what another place my mind was going was the economics of digital fashion. Because yeah, even with Snapchat, you know, there's a lot of, well, filters have been mostly free on those platforms for a long time. But now I could see it to where it's, you have the, you know, that hat you're going to the dance party with, that digital hat could be walking into a digital hat shop and then purchasing the hat you want to go to that digital dance party. And it's, uh, is that the world that you're fitting into now? Because uh, there's a lot of cool stuff and I watch a lot of your videos on, uh, on the jacket that you design and then the robot and I'm really, really impressed first off. You know, and, and second, I'm really interested in the economics of this market too. Is that, do you mind if we shift just a little bit into the jacket? Because I'm curious, cool. Your jacket's incredible. You know, and I, I saw the the way it interacts with the robot, and we'll get into that. This was uh, called Project One Forty Seven, right? And yes, <laughs> it, was, it was backed by the EU, and yep. the, which was uh, Germany and uh, uh, Slovakia. No, it wasn't Slovenia. It? Slovenia. Slovenia. That's it. Yes. It, it, the first part, because this is a again, it's the economics. Why would these two countries want to jump on board with this and financially back it? 
So um, before we go further, I would like to say that, you know, all these references are from my most recent summit, the Digital Fashion Online Summit, where I put together all the latest fashion tech people. And, um, and, I, and I think that you attended and you watched some of the presentations, etc. And so uh, we launched the robot, which we actually spoke about in our last uh, meeting. Uh, and so I actually got that robot to completion. Awesome. Um, and, and you know what? It was thanks to, you know, building it in 3D in CAD, right? And then it came out, it popped out of the factory exactly like that as it was in 3D. And what was interesting in the process there was how I had to, I had the, you know, the CAD designer in uh, South America, right? Because uh, he's the only guy who knew how to build the robot to make it actually fit on the physical robot part that we had, parts that we had. And then we had to ship it, we had to send the digital file over to the factory because they had to adjust the digital file to make it manufacturable, which then made it really ugly. And then I had to send it back <laughs> to Argentina to beautify it. And it was like this three months of sending this file back and forth until I finally said it looks beautiful and the factory said it's manu mass manufacturable and then at that point boom it went into and and popped out of the oven physically you know in 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 real life in aluminum and and plexiglass and so on and the same thing with the jacket right is that you know it was designed and then constructed and then built but then we had to mount the electronics inside. And that, that's been like a almost a year and a half process because uh, throughout that process, we had to then connect it to the cloud because the concept of the robot and the jacket are for hotels, uh, boutique hotels who are understaffed. And, um, and, and how can we make it easier for them to service their clients you know, and give additional support to their existing staff, right? We're not talking about replacing somebody or whatever. What we're talking about is reducing stress. So the jacket is designed to help monitor the stress of the, um, of the manager. And then secondly, he just has to swipe on his sleeve to change the lighting, to change the music, to change the temperature and to call the robot which means that he can adapt the environment, the smart hotel environment in real time uh, without having to walk over to a wall unit or go into the back or whip out a phone, etc. He can just do that through the jacket, which is connected to the smart hotel environment. And, and that was a process. And we worked with, um, you know, we collaborated with uh, Amazon using uh, Amazon AWS IoT, uh, because they had a lot of tools in the cloud that could control the smart home environment. So I've kind of, you asked me like, oh, is digital fashion where you're at? I did digital fashion in 2000 when I made my Anina dress up game. And people were like, who will ever have an avatar and who will ever download real fashion? And then, you know, in 2010, I 
I built an Anina with a gaming company, 3D with full bone structure. And then I, I have her now, you know, she looks like me. Okay, maybe <laughs> her hair is a little bit longer, <laughs> you know, but, um, but she looks like me. Yes, this is my point, right? We need the Rick avatar. We have the Anina avatar. And then now those avatars, if they have full bone structure, you can, you know, you know that I built this um, wireless tracking suit, right? You could put on these wireless tracking. So now you can step into my body and control it, right? You can move the arms and legs are synced up with your body, right? And, um, and, and, you know, I've done all sorts of experiments with sending my Anina, virtual Anina to do speeches for me in other countries where I double booked myself for speeches and so on. And so it raises a lot of questions of identity and hijacking and security and so on, which we'll get to. But um, so the digital fashion, I already have my 10,000 outlier hours in that. And uh, as you know, I'm a futurist. So I, I live in the future. So I'm already have sort of like moved on from that. Uh, and I'm into domotics, because uh, that is what is the next big thing is smart home, smart city, smart buildings, and then smart assistants, right? And so that's what the jacket and the robot are, are assisting, you know, the smart hotel environment. So um, it, it, it nobody needs it now. You know, everything I do, like people don't need it now. <laughs> That's how it's supposed but to be though, right? Next- yeah, you, 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 develop the, uh, you develop the solutions and then everyone realizes, oh, we actually do have a problem here that we need to solve. Yeah, that's a, it's it's reverse, <laughs> and I think yeah, I think the best solutions or the best the inventions on this earth have always happened that way. Because you know, uh, take a look at the light bulb. I mean, even as simple as that was, it's like what, how are we going to even utilize this? There wasn't even infrastructure built to power that sucker. Infrastructure, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and it's so exciting right now when we talk about blockchain and smart cities. And we talk about blockchain and supply chain when we talk about adding in artificial intelligence into that and decentralizing and decoupling from, you know, the, the, the power being in the hands of the few. Now the power is coming to every node on the system and no one person can take total ownership of the whole system that's where we're going in my opinion in my humble opinion you know so with blockchain technology and so on i'm sure you have a lot more to say about that but my little jacket fits as one of those nodes on the smart city system and the hotel system and home system it's phenomenal i mean you you also mentioned the word domotics and that was something you know in the in the current seminar that you're putting on right now that I, I learned about, I didn't even know that word until this. It doesn't yeah. even exist in Google. I yeah, know there's like a, only, there's very few. I'm so very ahead. It's, in a, but it's, <laughs> it's such it's a, a fun thing. word. It's going to be big. For sure. Right? It is. Absolutely. And once people start getting back out again, which a lot are, you know, especially in the U S a lot are starting to get really antsy and trying to get back out into real civilization. But then there's the the crew that says, hey, I want to work from home from now on. And domotics is just such a huge fit for them, regardless, or even if you're going to a party at somebody else's house. 
and I, and I I can't wait to see where things go with this. And I stay in a in luxury hotels, you know, typically when I travel. And there's so much of a gap that I see between the ability of the person that's there, the 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 clerk that's behind the front desk, or just somebody who brings up room service, and how they just have to waste so much time in trying to facilitate things. And then when you get your food delivered via room service, all of a sudden it's, oh, well, you didn't bring me some ketchup to go with my burger, you know, or, you know, there's a problem that I have with the thermostat. Can you fix it while I'm here? Well, no, I can't. I have to go call maintenance to do that. If it's the room service person, you know, the the temperature just won't go down for me, whatever it is. I, I can only imagine them wearing your jacket, you know, or having the robot on call just a couple feet away to provide all these things. And then it just saves so much time because to your point, it's not eliminating people because these, these individual roles still have to exist within that hotel. But now they're able to just facilitate and serve almost in real time when something happens without those delays between types of personnel. Uh, it's phenomenal. And you said this is a, it's really an IOT jacket too, right? Yes. And not only that, but like, think about this, the person who is currently bringing this food to your um to your room they're either carrying it on a tray or they're pushing a heavy cart why does the human have to do that the human could just walk next to the cart imagine if you do that for 20 hours a day 15 hours a day eight hours a day for seven you know five days a week that screws your body up Okay. And that's why later in life, people in hospitality industry have severe problems, you know, with their bodies because they had to do all of these things that, you know, they should not be doing, you know, their backs hurt, all sorts of things. But a robot can be carrying. And what can the human do? The human can be greeting you. The human can be talking to you. The human can be checking, how's your day going? Is there anything that I can do for you, right? But the human doesn't have to carry your tray and break their back. That's really what we're talking about here, assisting human to machine, right? And and the whole idea, again, also of like, suddenly you're like, I need this. And then they're like this. And they're like, okay, what do you need? And they're like tapping in a phone. But instead, they can be like this with you. Hi, what do you need? Oh, you need a da-da-da-da? Alexa, room 357 would like some chocolate. Can you please bring that? I'm looking at you. We have the humanity back into human to human, right? I didn't have to like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me, let me, what, what was that? Can I, yes, a chocolate. Okay. Yeah. You know, that is not a good experience, right? Or walking over to the wall unit or whatever. Instead, it's like, we need to get back to being, doing what humans do well, which is serving and making people feel great. Robot can't do that job, you know, but also, if you've stayed in Las Vegas hotels, tell me the truth. You've seen a robot, right? Oh, yeah. They're right ugly on. as sin. They're ugly. <laughs> I caught that they when you were like talking about this. They look like washing machines, yes. right? They yes. look like freaking washing machines on wheels. Yep. I've seen Hello. some other videos with robots that'll serve. But yes, I've stayed at the luxury hotels in Vegas and I see them. And you're right. 
they're just metal cubes and they're they're ugly. I caught that when you were talking about that too. How you, you built your robot and I, I was laughing on the inside because of the world that I live in in cybersecurity and it's a lot of engineers, right? And engineers are very functionally minded, which is great. We <laughs> it's got to be that way because the robot won't work, right? It just it could look pretty, but it's not going to work. Yeah, but then when you got it, I was laughing. I was like, of course it's going to be ugly the first go because the only one that touched it was an engineer. And that's where you fit in. Yeah, and then talk about a funny story, right? So we get the robot done. And remember, I'm doing all of this virtually. They're sending me videos. I'm like, I need a video. They send me like one video and I'm like zooming in on the video. And it's like, it's done by WeChat. It wasn't even like a higher video and suddenly I you know I'm like what is that and then I zoom in you know I'm like what is this on the surface what is that you know and then she's like oh it's a hole I'm like what is there a hole in the <laughs> beautiful black you know smooth what is why is there a hole and there's four of them why are they there Oh, well, we needed to attach the top plate to the frame. So the engineer just drilled a hole and stuck a screw in. And I was like, this is a luxury <laughs> robot. There was no hole in the schematic. That's no, funny. like you have to do that over again. Oh and I gosh. had to argue with them. But that was the engineer's like, Oh, I'll just drill a hole in the top and bolt that sucker down. And I was like, no, yeah, cannot, no kidding. <laughs> you, you can't have like a, you know, like glass, black surface, you know, plexiglass shined, you know, like shined up and a hole, four holes. No, it's not possible, you know. <laughs> That's funny. So just a funny story, right? No doubt. <laughs> I made him do it again. I was like, no, the the look at the schematic. The the screws go from under, you know? And then I took pictures of my furniture in my room and I'm like, even IKEA can do it. Cause they tried to tell me like that it would be impossible. I'm like, IKEA can do it. Y'all can do it. You know, you need to do it. I don't accept this. No, you know, so it was a a bit of a fight there, but yeah, I no won. kidding. I'm glad you were involved because I don't want an ugly robot saying hi to me. <laughs> That's where I come from. And, and then when it's sitting there not being used, because I walk around here uh, in the in the shopping malls, right? And the robots are like cowering in the corners with their little shields. You know, they're like there with their little like plaques, and they're like. <clears throat> They look terrified, you know, the, they're the, like cowering in the corner. Plaque, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the funny thing is, is they have wheels, they have navigation, but, but they're cowering in the corner and the humans have to go up to the robot and, and touch the shield. Well, then why does that thing need to have wheels on it and, 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 a, and a smiley face and an iPad? You could just be a, a, a interactive sign, you know, but when our robot is sitting in the hotel lobby and parked, it A, has function because it has a drinks on it. Someone could walk up to it and grab a drink. And B, it blends into the luxury hotel environment. It has the same color schemes, golds, browns, dark browns, mahoganies, you know, those are commonly the colors of luxury hotels, right? And the, and the other thing is, is that I built it super modular. So it had the 
the parts that the the panels that can come off. So if your boutique hotel is like snow chalet, okay, let's put like you know leather leather panels on it you know if you are a conference organizer let's put led panels on it yeah, and right you on. can put all the logos yeah. of your of your sponsors on it and it can be tooling around the vip section i mean the idea was to build it so that you could actually customize it fully customize it to match your hotel environment for sure i love the aesthetics of it too and that's because it doesn't look like a robot it doesn't look like the the ugly vegas junk the washing machine as you called it there yeah it just well as i was taking a look at the images and you know even in real life on the on the demos that you had there at the conference you know as i was looking at this thing, i'm like this looks like just a a high class luxury cart you know that that's right there for somebody and it could just easily be a piece of furniture you know that's uh, over in the corner or something like that and i, I love that it, the aesthetics are just clean and simple to where it's not that you know that robot you're talking about in the corner that's supposed to have a smiley face. Why does it have to be? Why does it have to have that sign that says, "Hey, I'm a robot"? I don't think it does. Well, I think that because it makes it somehow more friendly. But if I were a kid, and then you know, I went up to those white Michelin men looking robots, I'd be terrified. If I were a little kid, would you be terrified? They look like ghosts, you know? I'd be like, what are these ghosts doing in the lobby? I'd be scared, you know? But if a, if a, a table rolled up to me with some sweets on it, <laughs> I would be like, Harry Potter magic, yes. right? <laughs> For sure. So, I dreamed about this day. <laughs> right? I knew it would eventually like, happen. The table's on my side. Right. And and what if like the furnitures like rearrange themselves every once in a while? Like, um, I mean, but it's not unrealistic. It's not unrealistic to think that these are prospects. And when we put 5G into the mix, then, you know, robots can be and they will be tooling around already. I mean, there's many companies, you know, who have industrial robots. But as I'm in fashion, you know, I had to fashify the robot. And also humanize it with the jacket together. So I'm so delighted that that you like it. And uh, it. now, now uh, we got that funding from the EU. So now the next step is, um, you know, as my my robotics partner says to me, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, now we need to go get funding. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And he's like, can't we just go sell this robot? This is a beautiful robot. And not only that, it's cheap. You know, most robots start at 15,000. We can sell them for five. So you can have a beautiful robot for $5,000. It's not a bad deal, to be honest with yeah, you. It's right kind on. of a deal, you know? And, and so he's like, can't we just go sell some robots? I was like, yeah, can't we just go sell some <laughs> robots? So sort of that's the the area i'm i'm a maker so i can pretty much make anything but now i i also have to up my game and learn how do we you know i can make it i can manufacture hundreds of thousands of it but i gotta learn now how to sell it and i think so many people sell it online right so many people now are facing the same problem especially in the retail sector right uh, so many retail got shut down. Now they had to pivot and get online. Lots of people waited and were like, this isn't really happening. And then they were like, wow, year one, 
Wow, we're not back yet. Oh, now year two. Oh my gosh. And so we we saw um, one of the speeches from Muchina de Capfunda. She talks about the new business models. And she did a post-mortem on Topshop. Topshop was this amazing store that was like the pillar in London of like the hottest fashion. Well, you know what? They died. They totally went out of business. And the reason that they went, one of the reasons they went out of business was they had a terrible online experience. They had an awful e-commerce store and, and they couldn't, they couldn't pivot. They couldn't turn into the new business model, which is your store is now your warehouse and your drive through and your store is now your e-commerce where people do what? What is a store? They go and they order and then they pick up. And now people got so used to this amazing convenience of, you know, the McDonald's drive through. I don't see them really going back. What's your take on that? I don't see them going back either. It's an interesting concept too, because that's how I've been shopping for years myself, even personally, is I, you know, especially with fashion. You know, I mean, even the clothes that I'm wearing right now, I would go and find maybe one or two, you know, and, and start to find my designers that fit me really well. And that's the drive through, right? That's the walking into the store to figure out because it, there's no trick for that, but maybe there might be a difference in 3D printing and fashion, which we'll get into in a little bit, you know, to where you can actually print something to somebody's specific body type. But as for right now, I would still just go to a store and find what fits me. And half the time, I wouldn't even buy that article in the store because then I would go, if it's Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus, I would go to their website, to their e-commerce. Now that I know the designers that fit me and I know my size, because high-end designers, their clothes just fit. They fit the same way every single time. It's not like shopping at Walmart or Target to where if you, you know, like me, I'm a large, it's not going to be a large here and then like a large plus from the same shirt from the next person because it's high-end fashion. It's going to fit right as long as you stay with the same designer and the same size. It's going to fit the same way every single time. So I would go into stores and just do that and try things on and maybe buy a couple of articles, if sometimes not even any, and then go online and then fill my cart up with what I know fits me from those designers that I just tried on over the next couple of days. Because it was, it was more uh, pressure free, you know, because uh, back in the day, like 10 years ago, I would shop at the Buckle. Right. And that's when all this stuff was in like affliction and, you know, and everything else or, or whatever. And I would go there and they were really great because they worked on commission and I'd be in the fitting room and they would start to continuously throw more clothes over the top and say, Hey, I found another outfit. Hey, I found another, try this one on. I want to see you in this. I think you're going to look amazing in this man. Your butt's going to really shine. And I know you don't have a butt Rick, but this, it's really going to look like it pops on this right here. Right. But that they were really good at their job. But then I would go in thinking, I need two pairs of jeans. And then I would walk out with 30 pieces of clothing and maybe only wear half. And now it's like, well, now some of these, I guess I really don't like. I spent three hours there rather than 30 minutes. You know, and some, if I didn't intend to do that, that was like my whole day because they sucked me in and they were good at their job in doing that. So now it's, if it's Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, I'll walk in, find the designer, find my clothes, and then that'll be my style for a little while and i just order online that's it so the we call that showrooming yes the store yeah. is a showroom and a fitting room 
but then you buy online and it's delivered to you. You don't have to walk out with bags and packages and so on and so forth. So that was a trend that was happening for a while. But then when the stores got shut down, he who survived was able to turn their store into a warehouse and sell online and service people in the driving parking lot. That is the trend. And it's very interesting. Uh, uh, one of my friends has a shop, a very small shop in um, San Francisco, very famous in the Burning Man community. But luckily, before the, the pandemic happened, she already had started to create her e-commerce store. So then she finished it, but then her store got shut down. And like, you can imagine, hey, Ashbury area having to pay rent and so on. Oh, my gosh. But she was able to pivot to doing drive throughs. That was the first step. Like people could order online and then they could pick it up at the store. And then she was able to transition to, um, you know, a, by appointment you know, one person could come in and she would service that person, you know, and and it kept her store alive. Her store is alive today. And now she has two revenue streams instead of one. She has her online store and she has her physical store and she three. Sorry. And she has her pickup service. Uh, so three revenues for three different kinds of customers. She is going to be able to grow her business because that's the modern way of doing retail, right? And uh, and many people couldn't do that. Restaurants, lots of restaurants, those who could do that takeaway, they, they survived. Those who couldn't pivot like that, they died, right? So it's, it's this dematerialization process of things going online and and some people were able to roll with it but other people like Topshop couldn't couldn't roll with it they didn't have the mindset for sure and the, the transition and the pivot like you're talking about a lot ignored that as well you know in the restaurants you're talking a client of mine owns six buffalo wild wings franchises and even throughout the pandemic because most of their revenue typically came obviously from the brick and mortar the physical restaurants and specifically from alcohol, when everyone would come in and watch the game, you know, but he still did 70% of his normal revenue throughout the pandemic with no alcohol sales from all the takeout business, from all the takeaway business. And it was only instead of having, because you know, across six of his stores fully staffed, he runs about 500 employees, which is a lot of people. It's a lot of labor cost. And he was able to trim that down <laughs> to 50 people. So not only did he do 70% of his revenue, he also did it with 10% of the labor expense. And yeah, I feel bad, of course, for the people that lost their jobs. But from his perspective, he was still able to provide jobs for 50 people because he did pivot. Unlike Topshop, you know, who just ended up going away. And with, uh, with fashion designers now too, I'm seeing that pop-up stores are really the way of the future as well. Because it's just, hey, we're, we're releasing a new line. We need to show it to people physically in person, which is like you said, the fitting room. And they might be up for a couple months and then they're gone. That's how, that's the only way that commercial real estate is still almost like on a, a small little bit of a heartbeat in New York City, you know, which is also a great fashion city is the, most of the retailers pulled out, you know, and I think it was, it was millions of people that left the city because of how hard it was hit 
with the pandemic this year, but commercial real estate was hit really, really hard. And of course, you know, you look at Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue in New York, where all the <laughs> where all the fashion stores are. A lot of those really struggled and pulled out, but now you see a lot of pop-up stores that are just up here and there. They show the new product line and then the transaction takes place online. And let's talk about that back to digital fashion, yeah, right? So please. in um, in 2010, I pioneered um, uh, augmented reality to t- together with HP. And if you go to my um, YouTube site, 360 Fashion TV, you can see all the videos. I built uh, these huge pavilions. Those are my big events in China with 120,000 people invited by the government, not by not invited by me, but invited by the government to attend to learn about um, the future of fashion. And uh, I created these pavilions where you could walk around and 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 see what a store of the future would look like by actually walking into a store, or walking up to a wall, which I made into a faux store, right? And one of the uh, one of the exhibitions we did was all on augmented reality. So first, with jewelry, high end jewelry, diamonds, emeralds, you know, high end jewelry, I built a virtual jewelry store, and I also we built these virtual kiosks where you could put your hand inside and try on the rings, right? Now, these are rings that are like, you know, De Beers level, right? We collaborated with one of China's leading um, uh, high-end jewelry uh, designers called Feifei. And uh, so they gave us their jewelry design photos, and then we made them in 3D, right? And so let's just walk through that. Imagine you're in a shopping mall and there's a kiosk there, right? And there's a sign that says, put your hand inside, right? And there's no people. Suddenly you're wearing a million dollar ring, right? But there's no security around. You can snap a picture of it on your hand, okay? And you can tap on the screen and, you know, shop it in theory, right? Or you could tap on the screen and then uh, a service representative could, you know, make an appointment for you to come and see it in in their, you know, high-end store, right? But suddenly this kiosk can be unmanned or unwomaned. I don't know how to say that. Unpersoned, <laughs> unpersoned. right? Um, unpersoned, you know? Um, it's autonomous, right? And it is still accurately showing the three, you know, the real rings in 3D, etc. Right. And so that is a way that they can decentralize their stores. Right. And I also created on another side, a wall, a nine meter wall with a e-commerce store on it. So it was a, a photos of different clothing items. And then you took your, your phone and you pointed it at it. And then the 3D object of the dress or a a video of a model wearing the dress appeared on your phone. And then you could click and buy and it led to their e-commerce site, right? So what does that mean? That means suddenly they don't need to have a store. They can just rent a wall anywhere as long as they have a call to action, right? They can rent a wall. And people can shop by, you know, 
using augmented reality on their wall. So imagine we had this concept back then, or our team had this concept back then. If you had a store, it's closed in the night, generally, if you're a clothing <laughs> store, right? Or, you know, sometimes you shop, you go around in shopping malls and they say coming soon, right? And there's this big wall with a big fat graphic on it that's completely useless. What if that graphic, that coming soon, was a digital store? Coming soon, but you can shop us right now online. And Or even if it's not even shop us now online, let's just pretend they had no e-commerce. Still see 3D versions of whatever it is is coming soon in that store. Like it's still an experience. And what is happening is people are interacting with your brand. They are remembering your brand. They're getting to know your brand. Shopify right now has a simple way for you to upload a 3D file so that you can do these types of activities. And uh, and in the future, you can imagine that if VR environments, right, shopping, and then you have your goggles on, and then if a store has all their products in 3D, you can go to the store and in the VR environment, you can can virtualize and, and see those clothings. And in an AR, like again, triggering off of the wall environment, you can see those 3D objects and then go and buy them. So imagine if during the pandemic, everybody just papered up or boarded up their stores, but had they been smart, and put up posters and had their e-commerce and connected it O2O, they probably would have had, instead of having the store that looked boarded up, they would have a nice looking store that was still a store leading to sales. Do you get my point? Oh, I do. Yeah. I remember standing in San Francisco and seeing Saks Fifth Avenue boarded up in San Francisco and same with Tiffany's and it just... It was ugly and looked like it was zombie land when I was walking through the city there in May last year. There was no interaction. It's just almost like, well, are they ever going to come back? Or did they completely go out of business? You know, how's Saks doing in New York? Do they still exist or are they just blowing everything out and they're just going to stay boarded up forever because it looks pretty dead? Instead of magic. Imagine if you saw a beautiful poster saying something, you know, inspiring and then saying, shop us online, point your phone at these five new items and they could have rotated those posters out every week and then it could have spread a much better mood right no joke yep <laughs> for sure but like who is not doing these things so i guess that's always my challenge is um is that i i have had this challenge throughout my you know 20 years of experience in fashion technology um i cannot find brands who who can grasp these concepts so that's why i created the digital fashion online summit because they you know give me two days of your life and you will walk out and know what you have to do to survive in the future i i got together all these people that normally would never have time and uh you know i don't know why they said yes maybe just they are my friends, you know, and and we know each other from from all over the world. And they all said yes. 
And uh, this opportunity will never come again. And, and there would be no opportunity to meet these people, um, you know, unless you're going to those very expensive conferences and flying there and paying the hotel and all of that stuff. And, uh, and I was very lucky that they all made time and, and made their expertise available. And I highly recommend people to go. Do you recommend? Did you enjoy I watching do. It was phenomenal. some of the yeah. presentations? Absolutely. It was amazing. And where, what's the, the URL that everyone can go to for that? Oh, digitalfashion.360fashion.net. And uh, there's a, a free ticket, you know, and then there's also a, a VIP box seat if you if you need it. But I really try to make everything that I do accessible because I'm passionate about medium to small brands. You know, a lot of people just go for the for the high end brands. But what I think we need is to get the medium to small end brands to adopt new technologies so they can become the big brands of the future. Right on. Like your digital charging wallet, right? Your wireless charging wallet. Yahoo! Yeah. Tell me about that. Cause you were showing me that before the show. And I was like, Oh, the, we, we need to talk about that. So, you know, again, like when I did my offline events, I just put these babies on a table and people come by and buy like five of them, you know, cause they're just, beautiful and beautiful materials and high quality manufacturing and everything. And also really awesome colors. You know, I, I always go a bit crazy on the colors cause yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm a woman. So, you know, I want to have lots of colors and um, yeah, basically you will, um, it has 5,100 milliamps. It's very lightweight. I found the lightest, thinnest um, battery out of Japan. Uh, you, it feels just like a wallet. It is a wallet, right? You can fit all of your stuff inside, right? And uh, basically, you can carry all your essentials, right? Credit cards and money and coins and whatever else. Um, but then you're also carrying power. And I'm a person who is always, I'm a super phone user, and I'm always running <laughs> out too. of power. And yep. so I needed a solution like this so that I wasn't left standing on the street in the rain, unable to get a Lyft or an Uber, and there's no plug and no way to get electricity in sight. And I'm in some, you know, place that looks very scary and I have to walk a while until I find some convenience store and then I have to beg them and give them my phone, which, you know, is such a security risk for them to like plug it in and do who knows what with, you know, but instead I just uh, push here and then it'll go to red. And then I just take my phone, put it on top. And uh, oh, I don't know if you can see that it starts charging. I love it. Does it work inside also? Can you pop your phone inside? Because it looks like the size of a clutch. Can you oh, put yes. it inside and charge too? Yes, yes. So uh, because at the time that I designed these, no no wireless charging phones existed. Yes. Okay? Um, <laughs> well, now it's know? all of them. Yep, you got it. Um, but not at that time. So I, I created this, uh, this uh, backwards compatible T-cable, which is certified Apple and Android cable. Um, and, uh, and basically, you can just, again, plug your phone in and then pop, boom, pop your wallet 
uh, pop this into your wallet and then you can close up the wallet and then uh, boom, you're on your on your way and your phone is charging, you know, and it's really for minimalists. And it's uh, I recently found out it's for people also um, very good for people who lose things a lot because they can attach their keys here too. Um, lots of women say, I love it. It's like all in one solution. Everything that I need is together. And then I just pop a, even there's place inside here for like a little lippy do, you know? And uh, boom, you walk out the door and see, you guys got it so easy. Women have to carry bags and we're always carrying all this stuff. Now I just walk out the door with this. It is so freeing. It's amazing. Oh, I'm sure. I friend. love it. Where can I pick up one of those? I mean, not for myself, but they look like phenomenal gifts for me to pick up for somebody. Well, Mother's Day is coming and I'm going to be launching a new color for, um, for all those fantastic powerhouse women. So um, you can go to anina2049.com, which no millennial understands my Blade Runner reference there at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not a one. I, all my interns are like 2049. I'm like the future Blade Runner. They're like, oh, I heard about that movie. I never watched it. I was just like, that's great. <laughs> but that was the idea of these futuristic wallets for women. But this is really a story of, again, what just got vaporized. The power bank and the cable just got vaporized into an all-in-one solution. Now I don't have to carry the, the cable, the charger, and the thing, and like juggle all that stuff when I'm wearing some beautiful dress. You know how ugly that looks? Or like you have the cable coming out of your bag and it catches on a door handle. You know how many phones I've I've smashed like that, you know? So it's really about technology becoming invisible. Again, you know, inside of clothing, that's with the wearable tech and the smart garments. But back to digital fashion, you know, now fashion designers, fashion brands, because of the metaverse, because of gaming and avatars and online shopping, if they digitize their products into 3D, now they can even sell their products, right, to the digital fashion market of the metaverse. They have a new revenue stream. And this is the big revolution that is coming and happening. You mentioned, you know, when those sales clerks would sell you a whole bunch of clothes and then you wouldn't wear them. This is a reality. Fashion is the third largest polluter in the world. And the fact of the matter is we need to start making as a thank you for buying high quality garments because they last longer and they fit better and you need less of them. Right. And uh, rather than like a whole bunch of junk that you have to throw away later and that goes into the landfill and the incinerators. Right. But now you can have your staple garments, you know. But we can have an infinite wardrobe to wear online. We can have an infinite wardrobe that we can, you know, wear digitally. And as soon as glasses and, um, you know, get augmented reality inside, 
then we're going to really start seeing that we can wear our digital garments, our digital fashion outside on the street. And if you have those, um, you know, VR, AR glasses, uh, you'll be able to, we're going to see an amazing Harry Potter world, right? We're going to see artworks that are digital, right? We're going to see you know, dragons flying through the air. We're going to see people with wings. We're going to also see people wearing really cool fashion, you know, sort of with glasses on, with glasses off, right? It's it's going to become a mixed reality world, right, that we're living in. Well, what was so exciting about the Worth Project is that, um, and then uh, Karina, uh, who is the leader of the Worth Project, um, she spoke at the Digital Fashion Online Summit when I launched, when we launched the robot and the jacket. And uh, she was asked, why are you funding artists and fashion designers with technology? And her answer was that um, by combining fashion designers and technologists, this is how the EU will um, take their heritage, right? fashion, fashion, uh, artisanship, etc., and combine it with the future. And this is how they, the EU sees that they will stay competitive. And what's so incredible and what I think is really lacking in the United States is their startups have to re, re, rely on VC funding or self-funding or bootstrapping, you know? Um, and instead, why we see so much fashion technology and innovation in the EU is because they're funding these cross-border collaborations um, so that countries can work together. Like, you know, my robotics partner is in Slovenia. Slovenia has the most amazing programmers that are super low cost, you know, but highly educated, right? And Germany, obviously, a very developed country, you know, fashion design, uh, design thinking, etc. So the two of us coming together, um, and then combined with my my partner's um, knowledge of manufacturing, and then I got stuck here during the pandemic. You know, really shows the power of of the project. You know, and so uh, I'm very grateful that we could get it to this far because now we have something that can be sold, right? And that was the goal of the of the project. And yeah, I just wondered what your thoughts were about government funding projects like this from your perspective. Some people say that it hinders innovation. I only found that it enabled my our project. No, for sure. And I think it's done the right way in how you have it to. And I see this a little bit in the US to where it's not when you say government funded, it's also not government produced, you know, because I think if it's government funded and government produced, then it's way too much control from a government body. But if it's government partnering with private companies like, like yours, that's a completely different arena because the government, which is really supposed to be representative of the whole body of the nation, right? They are saying this is where we see is good for our society to go because at least in democratic countries where there's elections, we've elected our representatives to say, we are putting our trust in you to represent our best interests. 
So if they feel that our best interest in re representative fashion is to go a certain direction or fund a project like yours, then awesome, because now they're putting money in. It's just a flow of the economy. They're putting that, those funds from taxpayers back into private enterprises. You know, and it's actually, I feel how the economy is supposed to function that way, rather than the government saying, you know what, we see where we need to go, and we're just going to build a whole nother department and make government bigger, and we're just going to do it on our own. Now it becomes way more government control versus the partnership between government and private. And also, I looked into uh, grants, and they're all for the military. Yeah, you know, you got it. Yep. And, uh, and and it's kind of like you sell your soul to the military, and uh, and you cannot ever get out of that loop. That's the problem. You you once into that loop. What I read and what I talked to many companies who went that route, they never get to market because they're constantly dependent upon those uh servicing basically behave they become outsourcers for you know um for for the government they become outsourcers for the government they never become independent and actually bring their product to the market right because it's so highly specialized right so i think that's one of the differences between these eu funded projects is that they're also investing in um, cross collaboration. So, for example, Andra Key, who spoke at the launch, she's from Silicon Valley Robotics, and she's a big advocate of women in robotics. And I think you heard the story. I tracked her down and was like, "I need to find a robotics partner." You know, <laughs> and she didn't want to help me. Yeah. She was like, "Who are you? You're from fashion. Like, they're not going to want to collaborate with you." I was like, "Just let me talk to him." You know, and I'm so grateful. I did my best smooth talking, you know, I nice. swear. <laughs> I love it. In the back of the shed, right? It's phenomenal. But, yeah. But um, but now I was so proud to show her that her investing that, you know, chip in me uh, came to fruition. And then she talks a lot about how in robotics, we need artists. We need fashion designers. Uh, I think that's in technology in general. We need diverse teams, uh, uh, diverse and inclusive teams because it's different thinking, right? I have a totally different perspective, you know, on technology because I'm a fashion model and I lived my whole life on my mobile phone, you know? So I have a different life experience uh, and I can bring that as an asset to the table. But if we don't get those cross collaborations happening how how then it's just engineers working in a petri dish you know and then trying to stick technology onto humans right that's sort of the reason one of the reasons i think nokia died you know oh um, yeah you got it they they worked in the petri dish and they came up with great stuff but then they tried to sell it to the humans, maybe, I mean, and that's why I was lucky to collaborate with them and all our projects were well adopted because I brought my thinking to the table and my language to the table and my innovative point of view to the table. And so we put our strengths together, their hardware and my understanding of fashion and, and, and the, you know, a new plan to blossom was born. And here we are today with mobile blogging and and 
and blogging and all sorts of new technologies because of that. So yeah, I would love to see more of that. And again, that's why I do fashion, you know, 360 fashion, because I, I, I bring the fashion designers, I bring the corporates, I bring the investors, um, and I bring the startups together because it's only together that we can really make this thing work. It's an ecosystem. And back to China, I think that's one of the strengths of China is they work in the we and the West works in the me. And, and it, it takes an ecosystem to, to bring a new, you know, way of doing things to the world, right? Even me, I, I, I'm struggling to explain to women online why they need my wallet. But I tell you one thing, I've never gotten a return. Never. Even from people who bought my wallets that don't know, don't know me. No returns. Because once you start using this and you realize how it frees you, you're like, wow, I didn't know I needed that. Oh, for sure. Right on. Anina, you're amazing. And everyone listening needs to go follow you on Instagram at net. And look at the URLs in the show notes because the Digital Fashion Summit URL is there and also the, uh, the link to Anina's amazing wireless charging wallet, which I'm going to order a couple just because. So you need to do the same. Yes. Anina, thank you for being on. Wow. So exciting to talk with you and also share this experience because we come from different perspectives but it's, it's always like, so we have so much in common. I'm so thrilled every time I talk with you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your inspiration. I follow you on Instagram. And when I feel low, <laughs> you want to your awesome inspirational quotes pops up and tells me I can do it and don't stop. And I'm very grateful for, for your mindset uh, and that, that amazing, um, you know, spirit that you spread on the internet thank you so much that's awesome thank you what's shaking thank you for joining me on the all in podcast click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications text me 312-535-8520 follow me on social media at mr rick jordan see you next episode i am rick jordan and i approve this message